Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am here today with Rich Heller. Is I was on his podcast, gosh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. He is a relationship fitness coach and a mediator. He helps parents to transform a negative relationship with conflict into one in which they resolve differences creatively. And he helps them learn the tools and techniques needed to increase joy and resilience for themselves and their children. No stranger to conflict. Rich grew up in New York City. He's, he's one of mine, y'all. He's a child of divorce. He's been divorced and he is successfully remarried. Um, he and his partner have been married for over 20 years and they have launched five children into the world. He is, has an MSW. He is a certified coach. He's, he's awesome. Today, we're going to be talking about something called mental emotional release. And really, this is all about how to really work with your triggers and erase them in a sense or release them. I'm going to let Rich tell you all about that because it's really actually quite fascinating. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a technique and it's, it's just a fascinating sort of brain technology. But before I give you this uh, great interview, I just want to let you know, we've got some big, exciting news today over at the Divorce Survival Guide headquarters, AKA my desk in my house. Uh, which is that the first ever Divorce Survival Guide retreat is now open for registration. We are going to Sedona, Arizona, which um, is a sort of known as a spiritual vortex kind of place, Um, really healing energy there. And we are going to be staying in a, at a retreat center there. We're going to be doing some work. So it's April 27th through 30th. It's a Thursday evening through Sunday morning. And I would love for you to join me. It's just going to be a beautiful, rich weekend of of work, really. I'm just planning the whole thing. I just get so excited. I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, yeah. Then we're going to do that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we're going to wake up in the morning and have some fun. We're going to do like Zumba, have nature walks, all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to get down to it. And then in the evenings, we're going to have more fun. And I maybe bought a karaoke microphone for myself for Christmas (laughs) that I'm planning on bringing. So registration is limited. There are only 12 spots open. And I think um, a few of them are already taken, so I'm not sure how many we have uh, right now. But early bird pricing goes until, um, I think, February 28th. So if you want to get $500 off, now's the time. And uh, you can read all about it at kateanthony.com retreat. And there is a link in the show notes. Please don't forget. Please check it out. Look it up. If you have ever wanted to just hang out with me in the desert, <laughs> now's the time. KateAnthony.com slash retreat. And 
without further ado, I'm going to bring it back to my conversation with Rich Heller. Rich, thanks so much for coming on uh, and talking to us. I, uh, full disclosure, right? Um, Rich had me on his podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, was it? Yeah. And we had such a good time talking to each other. We were like, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah. Really, we're just, just, we're just talking to each other. We hope it has value for everyone else. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think we are, I, we're, I have no doubt that we're going to be just fine with plenty to talk about. One of the things that, that you do that I'm really interested in talking about is this mental emotional release uh, technique, I guess, right? Exactly. Where, and it's, and it's about releasing triggers, but, but not like explain this, explain this. You, most of us, almost all of us who work in the divorce field, what, like one of the most important lessons that we can teach people is to first identify that they have triggers, right? So mm -hmm. what's a trigger? A, yeah, trigger a trigger is when you go from, somebody says something and instead of going from zero to 10 emotionally, you go from like zero to 60. You just go, what? You know, you just yeah. like, it's like they push your button. That's what we call pushing your button. Right. right. When, when your right. button gets pushed or you get triggered, you know, you, all of a sudden a whole lot more emotion comes up than maybe the situation calls for. And the beautiful thing about triggers is sometimes we don't even realize that the emotion is too much until we look back on it. Like in the moment, we're just having the feeling. Right. So um, when you're getting divorced, right, triggers are really expensive. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And yes. they're really expensive because you know, you're trying to negotiate a legal document and and a new way of living, but if you're you're going from 0 to 60 every time something comes up that feels a little scary, it slows the process down and you end up spending a lot of money on legal fees cuz they're charging, you know, 2, 4, 6 or even $1,000 an hour, depending on where you are in the country and who you're working with. And you right. end up, you're, you know, at two in the morning, you're calling up your $1,000 an hour lawyer saying, do you know what she said? I can't believe her. And he's like, dude, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> you, you can't call me at two in the morning and talk about this. <laughs> By know? the way, you can't call your therapist or your coach at two o'clock in the morning either. Um, but... <laughs> Um, but we are more suited to that conversation, right? I've all right. my my divorce attorney friends say, like, I am I am the the least qualified and most expensive therapist you can ever call. Yeah. Right. Well, I, and some attorneys actually make pretty good therapists. They've been doing it for a while, but still really expensive. That's um right. and, and they may not specialize in helping you learn how to manage your trigger. They might be able to talk you off the ledge, right? But that doesn't mean you're not gonna go back up there. And so Yeah. The first part is recognize that you have what a trigger is and that you have one. And the second yeah. part is, you know, we all help all of us who work with people in the mental health arena as coaches or whatever with, with people in the divorce process, we help them figure out what is a trigger and what to do about it so that it doesn't cost you so much money. And mm -hmm. so that um, every time he or she says something that pushes your buttons, you don't pop out of the box like a jack in the box and, you know, and just sort of emote all over the place. Right. And the Emmy, the, what makes the MER process special is that uh, it actually helps you to disconnect the trigger. Mm. Uh, and, and I spent years working with people, teaching them to identify the trigger, um, how to walk around the trigger. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, uh, a metaphor I used to use with people was like this. 
a, a person is walking down the road and he's looking at his cell phone and he falls into a hole and he goes, holy crap, I'm in a hole. And he crawls out of the hole and he looks back and says, wow, there's a hole there. The next day he's walking down the street, looking at his cell phone. And he remembers just at the last second that there's a hole there. He looks, he almost falls into it. He walks around the hole. Wow. Thank God I missed that. The next day he walks down the street and he says, why the, am I walking down the side of the street? He goes to the other side of the street. Eventually, he stops walking down that street, right? That's the right. how we talk about triggers typically. Mm -hmm. With the MER process, we basically just fill in the hole. Mm. Like it would be a, with, like metaphorically speaking. So yeah. they, they, there is no hole anymore. So there is no hole. How, and so how does that and, work? And you know, like if, you've ever hole, seen, right. if you've ever seen the highway repaired, right? It's not like you didn't know there was a hole there. And if you don't do it well, it's not like the hole, you know, might not come back. So it's, it's, it's not a hundred percent foolproof, but it is a great technique for let, let, we call it letting go of emotional baggage. This is so great. I love this metaphor because it just remind me anyone who lives in LA or in the Hollywood area, there was a pothole on one of the most turned corners in all of like the Hollywood area, mm -hmm. uh, coming down Highland onto Franklin. Everyone knows this. There was a pothole there for years and they kept filling it in. And then two, three days later, it was sunken in again. And mm -hmm. it happened over and over and over and over again until they finally did something. They dug it out more, they filled it in more, and now it is paved over. But I will say it took years. And yeah. so that metaphor just, that just, that just brought that to mind for a no, no, no reason whatsoever. It just, um, you can, you can work to fill in a pothole, but sometimes that pothole really, really, really wants to stay open. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds like it was a really good sinkhole with a, with a deep, deep bottom, you know, and they, right. that's, those are hard to fill. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so how, so how does this process work? Um, in order, to, well, let me give you some more background. Yeah. So we, we all hear this and and it goes right to our unconscious mind. So it goes like this. We are 80% or 90% unconscious mind, right? Like everybody's heard that and they go, okay, you know, WTF. So I'm unconscious mind. What is, how does that help me? Right. And uh, triggers are grounded in our unconscious mind. And what starts to happen is we start to build a relationship with our unconscious mind. Like it's the enemy. Right. Mm, Cause wow, uh -huh. it's, it's got all these triggers and the, all these unpredictable behaviors are coming out of my unconscious mind. You know, holy crap. What am I going to do about it? You know, I, I, I need to fix this thing. It's a, it's broken. It's, uh, it's the enemy. A and the reality is that our unconscious mind wants to help us. It's designed to help us. Our unconscious mind is what helps us cross the street without thinking about. Our unconscious mind, let's back up all the way to the very root. Our unconscious mind helps us to breathe. Our unconscious mind helps our heart to beat. It keeps all the bodily functions going. Our unconscious mind uh, on the next layer, you know, helps us to with hand-eye coordination, uh, moving our legs, moving our feet. The more we do it, the more unconsciously competent we become at something, right? So our mm -hmm. unconscious mind mm -hmm. does all that. So eventually we're driving a car. And, um, you know, if you're really unconscious and you're making that turn on whatever street that is, you fall under the pothole and break an axle. You know, if you're too, <laughs> if you're like, if you're really you're too unconscious, unconscious, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> but our unconscious mind is driving the car. Basically, <laughs> our unconscious mind is making a lot of our emotional decisions for us also. Mm -hmm. So when we meet someone, our unconscious mind decides, is this safe? And is it not? Now, what's the basis for that? Right. So the basis for the emotional stuff has to do 
mostly with our age zero to seven. That's when most of the programming is laid in, but it's also layered on uh, in the rest of our life. So our unconscious mind organizes thoughts, uh, memories in two ways. One is in time order, in chronological order, and the other is by the kind of emotion that we associate with the event. So when the unconscious mind gets enough evidence that certain kinds of events and certain kind of feelings go together, it starts developing set strategies for dealing with those emotional situations. So what the hell am I talking about? Uh, for me as a child, I'll go personal. My grandmother and mother were rageaholics. Mm. And so, you know, there's certain behaviors that my unconscious mind developed in order to manage being around people who are rageful all the time. Right. Not that they're bad people. They have their problems. They have their unconscious minds that are all effed up and upside down. And so that strategy worked great with them. But then mm -hmm. when I got married, you know, and wasn't married to a rageaholic, if something looked like that, I would have the same, I, the same strategy would kick in automatically, which didn't work in my marriage. That's an example. All right. So what the MER process does now that I've given you this huge, long explanation about the unconscious. Important. Mind, no, important, but, but right? vital. Yeah. Yeah. What the MER process does is it helps the unconscious mind to systematically identify emotional patterns and release the unresolved emotion that has to do with those emotional patterns so that you can change, so that it can change the pattern, right? Because the unconscious mind, um, it thinks in symbols and images and emotions, not words. The unconscious mind is created to help us. It wants us to have more. It wants us to move forward and it wants to release emotion. But when we have enough, going back to my childhood example, it was not safe for me to say, don't talk to me that way <laughs> because I would have been at six years old. I would right. have been creamed, you know? Right. And so the only thing that worked then was to kind of at that age was I'm just going to push it down and I'm going to be on my best behavior and I'm going to keep my head low and I'm not going to, you know, just go that way. These, these raging maniacs, you know, won't take, won't decapitate me emotionally. And then we'll go back to being a loving family and it'll be fine. Right. Mm -hmm. But right. that really didn't work for me later on in life. Right. Okay. Later on in life, it became really important to express those emotions and not repress them. And what happens later on in life when we repress something is we go from zero to 60. So I, you know, I have a trigger around anything that looks like I had a trigger around anything that looks like rage that, you know, that needed to be unwired. And that's kind of how I got into MER was I went to a coach and they did this process with me. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. A process where a trigger, a childhood trigger can be dismantled completely mm -hmm. instead of me noticing it uh, of you know stepping around it asking for a timeout so I can reset myself emotionally and then going and resuming the conversation without the trigger being activated except the trigger can always be reactivated right it, it's so it's okay. this amazing process where basically you, the unconscious mind is talked through releasing old emotional baggage so that you can come into new situations with a different mind, a different emotional come from is probably the best way to, but I was going to say mindset, but it's more emotional come from than a mindset. Okay. You know, mindset is how we, mindset is how we think about things, but then there's, there's, there's how we are or how we're being. 
since the unconscious mind stores these things in images, right? And this is why a, a vet, a veteran will respond, have PTSD to fireworks because mm-hmm. it is the it is the sound mapping that is right that is being triggered as if it's happening in this moment because yep. there's no context that is stored mm-hmm. in the great, unconscious mind. Great technique for PTSD, by the way. Right. Yes. Well, I, I imagine. Right. And so what we were just talking about, right, you were saying that it can't be, you know, you can't be sort of talked through it, right? It has to be this about the come from, right? Versus uh, a mindset because a mindset, your your mind isn't actually set in these moments when it is just about the yes. um, the pictures, the sounds, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, before I, before I bumbled into the mental mm-hmm. and emotional release technique through another coach, um, I help people create mindsets or de- mindsets or thought patterns or strategies for dealing with their triggers. And th- they were effective, but it takes a lot of conscious energy to work to work around these deep set uh, unconscious uh, strategies. It takes a lot of conscious energy. It takes a lot of, you know, you got to be really present and it, not that that's bad, but how much better is it if you can just un- rewire the emotional basis for the trigger and not have to th- always be on the lookout for right. you know, for it. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Of course, and you then- know, the, the good news is once you rewire one thing, there's 52,000 other ones to work on. This is, <laughs> this is, this is, we're always peeling the damn onion. <laughs> always peeling the fucking onion. Yeah. So, so how does this work, Rich? This- I think I want to tell you why it works. Yeah, great. Uh, instead of like, I could tell you how to do the technique, but people would sort of go, I don't get it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. let me ask you a question. Kate, can, can you imagine something that has happened in the future that you're really angry about? That has happened in the future? No. Yes. No, because <laughs> it hasn't happened. We, we, we don't feel emotions forward. Mm-hmm. The only emotion we feel forward is anxiety. And that's usually because we're projecting a situation on the future. Oh my God, what if, uh, I don't even know what's going on in the world right now. I was watching Madam Secretary. What if last night with my wife and uh, Iran was about to nuke Israel? What oh, if good. Iran nukes Israel and Israel was going to nuke Iran? Wow, what if that happens? You can have a lot. Of- Madam Secretary is all about future anxiety, by the way. Right? But, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah but, but, it's, but it's pretty but well grounded. She, but she fixes everything yeah, all by herself. Yes, she, she, is, <laughs> she is super smart, very intuitive too. Like she must have done a lot of MER work or something. But um, <laughs> but anyway, you can only imagine situations in the future and have a feeling about a, an imagined situation, right? Mm-hmm. And and the reason for that is that our unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between what is real and what is imagined, right? And so the evidence of this is um, there was a basketball team where that was split up into three groups, all right? And one group was shooting baskets, for free throws for a week to improve their free throws. The second group was off to Disneyland. Let's be generous. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, the, and there was a middle group that was imagining that they were improve, doing practicing three throws. So they would sit down and imagine they were practicing three, three throws just as long as the group that was actually throwing the free throws. And what they found out was pretty predictably, the group that went to Disneyland got really good at waiting in lines, but they didn't, you know, throw a free throw any better. 
but the group that imagined that they were throwing free throws got had almost as much improvement as the group that was actually throwing free throws, which is like kind of a whoa. So all we have yeah. to do is, you know, our, our unconscious mind really doesn't know the difference between what we imagine and what's real. And there's a lot of explanation for that that I'm going to spare you. And I, and I think it's important here, right? Because we can get into law of attraction stuff with this, where it's like just sitting sitting on your couch and imagining a million dollars falling into your lap doesn't make a million dollars fall into your lap. True. It is. But what you're doing is you're building the mind-body connection through through just the mind, not just the body. Well, but if you imagine what it's like to be a person who has millions of dollars... You're more likely to start living like a person who has millions of dollars and making decisions like a person who has millions mm-hmm. of dollars and therefore having the space for millions of dollars or the opportunity for millions of dollars to come into your life. You still got to act. You have to take action. And that's the right. Exactly. That is the but, thing. But your that's actions are more likely to be in alignment with, with, with this, that goal. If you can imagine what it's like to be that person. Uh, and visualize it and really experience it. It's just like the free throw guys could throw better free throws when they pretend, imagined it. And look, this is athletes have known this forever, right? I mean, there you know there are athletes who the the who do what is it high jumps and they imagine they imagine their body going over the high jump. There was the guy who first went over the high jump backwards that had never been done before, and apparently he visualized it first. Before he actually did it, you know, with the pole pole vaulting, somebody you have to imagine that body movement before you can innovate it. Right, and, and so he, they imagined it first, and then they did it, and they're like, "Oh, holy crap! This it didn't go over perfectly the first time, but it was a whole lot better." You know, and that's the whole high jump thing changed as a result of first visualizing and imagining the mechanics of it, and then actually doing it. Or gymnasts spend a lot of time uh, visualizing before they before they actually do something. It's like, it's serious, seriously important. Wasn't it Michael Phelps too, who, when he won some, you know, medal or something, and they said, how does it, how does it feel to, to this great accomplishment? And he said, well, I've accomplished it in my mind hundreds of times. So this is not new for me. Right. And that's mm -hmm. super cool. Super cool. All right. So yeah. Hey folks. So let your imagination <laughs> reign because you can do so much with it. One of the questions I get asked a lot in my Facebook group, my programs, on Instagram, is what do I do with my engagement ring, my wedding ring? I've got all of these beautiful diamonds. I don't know what to do with them. Well, today's sponsor, Worthy, can help you get the most money possible for your jewelry fast and risk-free. When you partner with Worthy, they do all the work for you and their competitive auctions get you up to three times what a local jeweler would offer in as little as two weeks. The best part about Worthy is that you are in charge of what happens to your jewelry. You set the reserve price, you approve the winning bid, and then you get paid. And if your item doesn't sell for the price that you want, Worthy sends it back to you at no cost, fully insured. And now you can visit worthy.com slash DSG and get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash DSG. Worthy, a better way to cash in on that hidden asset in your jewelry box. Worthy.com slash DSG. In terms of the MER process, what does this mean? So in the MER process, the short story is 
that you first you go uh, if there's an event where you have some emotional stuckness. Let's stick with the example. Uh, you know, my uh, grandmother yelling at me uh, when I was five on my fifth birthday because I wasn't excited about something she did for me. Right. Um, you, in the MER process, first you imagine that you're floating over the event. You can see yourself in the event, but you're not. But you're a seat. But you're not actually in it. And you look first. You look. You ask your unconscious mind, "What's the lesson?" that I need to learn from this event, right? Because when we have unresolved emotion, it's because we didn't learn a lesson that we needed to learn. And so you and so you look for a positive lesson, right? The lesson could be my fucking grandmother's a bitch, which is true. She was, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, you know, but she was also a phenomenal human being because of that energy. I mean, I want to be really clear. You can't have a, like a negative like that without there being a positive. She was amazingly energetic and determined human being who, who when she saw injustice, fought it rabidly. Right. Hmm. That she took that same energy and fought injustice rapidly, injustice rapidly. I mean, I have so much respect for her, but as a five year old child, it was a little scary to be the injustice that she was fighting rapidly. So what's right. the lesson that I need to learn from that? You know, and then next we ask the unconscious mind to go before the event and to look forward on the timeline as if the event is in front of you. Okay. So now you're seeing the event as if it's what if it's in front of you on your timeline is it so you're before it yeah you've you're imagining you're floating before the event if uh -huh. I, I, I was five i'm going to when i was four i see I'm okay for it so where is that five-year-old event on my timeline in, in in my actual imagined experience ahead of you in in the it's future now in the future yes uh -huh. because yeah. we can't the unconscious mind knows it cannot have feelings about the future Hmm. It is able to release the emotion. Hmm. The combination of having the lesson from that experience and seeing it as being in the future, the, it makes no rational sense, right? This is not a conscious mind thing. Not it's an all. unconscious mind thing. <laughs> right, okay. You, you keep thinking, I don't get it. The event I don't happens. get it. How can I it don't be? Get it. What like, is that's it? in the past. But the unconscious right. mind is experiencing that event as the future. So are you in sort of a... You know, like a relaxed, almost like hip, hypnotic state. It is a, a semi-hypnotic state. And so yeah. anytime, by the way, anytime yeah. that we are in meditation or prayer mm -hmm. or mindfulness or a daydreaming, mm -hmm. we are in a semi-hypnotic state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anytime we're in our imagination, we're in a semi-hypnotic state. And basically in this exercise, you're imagining that you're in, you know, before an event that was traumatic or hurtful and looking forward. And so you're able to release the emotions. And I, I take back that word traumatic because mm -hmm. um, what I, you know, what I've been discovered practicing this process is there's some people have some really traumatic experiences that we need to remove some of that emotion first before they can let it go. Like I had one client who had had three near death experiences involving water. Oh my God. And so there's some other, there's some other exercises we need to do to uh, help him release some of the fear of those near death experiences so that he could go back before them and really let it go. If something's really traumatic, if it's yeah, a very, right. like, yes. if it's something like that, like a near death experience, or you've been sexually abused or even PTSD, you know, you've been in a war zone, there's going to be some things you need to do to wash down the emotion before it can be released. Sure. Okay. Do you do this work with couples or is this like part of like the individual work as part of a couple's 
how does this how does this manifest? Right now, I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing it with couples, uh, but I do the there's do individual work. We do the MER work with each of them individually. Mm-hmm. It's like the antithesis of how I used to work with couples. I used to work with couples in a mediation frame, so I would never had any individual contact with them because I didn't want to look like I was leaning one way or the other. In this frame, uh, I go deep with them each individually. Um, and then they work on their relationship post MER. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually what's happened is they've, they're <laughs> so emotionally reset that, <laughs> that post MER that the, it's so much easier for them to work on the relationship. Whereas in the, in the other model that we're, we're doing so much effort to, okay, you know, that's a trigger. Are you sure you want to go there? <laughs> you know, right, the, right. post, post MER, there's a lot less triggers involved. So, um, there's a lot, there's much less concern about, you know, whether I'm on, uh, leaning into one side or the other. And they're much more invested in one another. It's in service of the couple's work. Right. In service of the relationship. Yeah. uh, Well, think of it this way. Healthy relationships are based on two individuals who are fulfilling their individual sense of purpose in life Mm -hmm. for personal fulfillment. And when they get together into a relationship, that's because in some way their individual sense of purpose um, connects and the relationship is like a third party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's the individuals yeah. and the relationship. Right. So what makes sense about this approach is it helps the individuals to let go of the emotional baggage that's keeping them individually from moving forward on their individual missions and relate specifically related to the relationship. And so they can come back to the relationship with a lot less stuff. Right. It's like you're clearing the minefield so you can actually yep. walk across the field. Right. You're clearing anyone, the mines. Yeah. Any Anyone who's... Uh, been in couples work or and pre- pretty much all of us who have been married have heard that you know once you get married somehow you bring all your parents and 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 their marriage and and your grandparents marriage and all that you know everybody's idea of marriage suddenly falls into your relationship which before when you you got married you know you were in love everything was juicy and sexy and wonderful then you get married and all of a sudden it's like what's all who who the hell is this person what is this stuff you yeah. know um the MER process really helps clean up all that stuff so cool it is cool. We should uh, all be doing that, right? I mean, yeah. I will say that it's not a guarantee that you're going to stay together, by the way. You know, I'm no. Working, I mean, I'm working with a couple right now where they're like, they're still figuring it out. You know, there have been some big breaches of trust in their marriage. You know, he's showing up as uh, accountable and willing to clean it up and understanding why those breaches were made. And she's showing up as, you know, understanding how she created the space that that allowed that to happen. Um, and reestablishing trust is takes time, you know, uh, even with good intentions and house cleaning. And so they're both kind of waiting to see what happens. So right now they're working on their parenting, uh, what it means to parent together first, and they're going to see what comes out of that. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you can do all the work to clear the betrayal. You can take all the responsibility, um, and do all the forgiveness and it's still too much emotional water under that bridge. Well, you know, sometimes we don't get together because we have conjoined purpose that works together. Sometimes our individual mission or purpose, you know, the thing that we are uniquely suited for in life. Uh, and I, I firmly believe that each individual is uniquely 
suited for something. We're all, you know, not only do we have completely di different genetics, but our cultural backgrounds, our family backgrounds, all that makes us like this perfect key for something mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of the greater good. Sometimes those two keys just don't go together that well. Sometimes people get married for all the wrong reasons. And so no matter how much minefield clearing you do up, the punchline might be, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what, Kate? I, I really enjoyed our time together. <laughs> and I can see that I can see that this isn't going to work, you know. Uh, and let's raise children together and be good friends, you right. know. It, 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 yeah. Like that would that would be the ideal. That's kind of what my ex and I have done. I mean, there's tons of you know tons of stuff in our in our collective field together. But at the end of the day, we you know being co-parents is kind of where we come together because that's we are certainly yeah. not meant to be together. <laughs> the guy who taught me the MER process, he was relating his divorce like this. Um, it was just really interesting, actually. He said that his name, he, this mystery guy, mm -hmm. uh, doc, Dr. Matt James, right? So okay. the, the MER process was created by his dad, Tad, his dad, Tad James <laughs> by accident, right? His dad, Tad oh. bumbled into this by accident, working with a client where suddenly, <laughs> you know, he helped her imagine that something in the future, something in the past was now the future and the emotions released. And he was like, he was like, oh my God, that worked. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. You know, it was like uh -huh. one of those moments. Right. Sure. You know? Yeah. 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 And, and then they built this whole technique uh, out, out of that experience over, uh, over a number of years. And they've taken it to universities and had it studied and validated. Um, so Dr. Matt James, though, he was telling me us, I was in a class, not just me, about uh -huh. his divorce. Um, and it, it was very amicable. And the, the reason for it was that he had moved from a, values point of view from being someone who really wanted to make a lot of money, mm. which isn't bad by the way, right? Like sure. the world needs people who want to make a lot of money to someone who had a very specific mission, you yeah. know, where he, he became very missional where the money was still, you know, money's still good, but it's more important that I impact as many people as possible and how much money I make doing it doesn't matter as long as I can live the way I like to live. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas his wife, was still very what we call entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. She was like, screw that, Matt. We got to make as much money as we can. Like, come on, this is a gold mine. Yeah. And th those right. two mindsets just don't go together. No. You know, and so exactly. they agree, they agreed. They, they got it. They were like yeah. wise enough to see that, that they're in terms of purpose, something had really changed for the two of them. And they have children together and they have a very good friendship today. And this is, I mean, you know, when my when my clients are looking at whether to stay or go, one of the first things we do is values work, right? Because values are so intrinsic to who we are in the world. And like you said, your key, right? Whatever whatever your mission is in the world or whatever you come to the world to do, it's so um intrinsic mm -hmm. that when they misalign, like it, again, no right or wrong. Like you said, it, there's no, there's no, you know, um, there's no right or wrong. It's just, this is, doesn't work. This, these two, these two missions or these two values simply don't go together and that's okay. Yep. Right. Yes. And I think so often we make divorce and this, this misalignment and the, the not lining up, uh, mean so much. Right, that that we failed, that there's such a mistake, that there's so much uh, tragedy and all of that. When really, it's just if we took all that meaning out of it, right, and just said 
these two things, this is unworkable. These two things just don't fit together. Mm-hmm. Right. If you were trying to fit, you know, a Lego and a, you know, Lincoln log together, they wouldn't fit <laughs> and yep. you wouldn't get mad or judge the Lego or the Lincoln log. You would just be like, oh, these two things don't actually work together. Yeah. Different, different systems, different ways of going at things, just too different and not enough shared direction. Right. So how long have you been doing this mental, emotional release stuff? Oh God, I just, I just started doing it in the last year. Mm. I think it's so useful for so many people because I know that, you know, a lot of my clients, when they get out into the world, they, they get through their divorce and they start dating, they start to confuse and conflate red flags and triggers right? They'll say to me like, oh my God, he has all these red flags. He does this, he does this, he does this. And I say, hmm, (laughs) I don't know that those are objectively red flags. They sound Mm -hmm. like they're your triggers. And maybe you want to steer clear of those things, but also maybe they're just, maybe if you worked on the trigger, this would not be an issue at all. For sure. Right. And so it sounds to me like this process can help you differentiate between a trigger and a red flag. Well, I remember um, when I first got into, really got interested in working with people, like it was in the 90s. There was this guy on PBS, I can't even remember his name, but he was like the family systems expert back then. And I remember watching him on PBS and he, he had this mobile. Most most people don't know what a mobile is anymore. Yeah. Mobiles, <laughs> for, for those of you who have never seen one, is a thing you <laughs> hang from a ceiling and it's got lots of things hanging on it with strings. And it's like you put it over your baby's crib. Right. They, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah only yeah. families are like that, only a lot more complicated. And right. he would say that the second that the weight shifts and changes on one thing in a mobile, it mm-hmm. impacts everything else in the mobile. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's also true for us internally. Right. Right. So, but internally, the second that we re- let go of some old emotional baggage that's causing us to go from zero to 60, for example, you know, the, the way we see the world, the way we experience the world, everything shifts along with it. And mm-hmm. then as we shift and change, everyone in our immediate circle goes, Whoa, wow, what happened there? You know, and, yep. and some, and some of them try and say, no, 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 you're in the wrong place in the mobile. You know, you need to come back over here. And some of them are like, oh, so cool. You should keep going over there, you know, depending on what kind of people you're hanging out with. So it's really, it's always when we change, it's really always interesting to see who says what, when, but right. yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent clear. You know, when we're in one place, things can look like red flags that are actually, we're actually projecting our old stuff on onto people. And when we let go of that old stuff, they might appear completely different to us. Mm, so true. So true. That's, I, this, I, I talk about this guy's name. with boundaries. I know, right? On P, on on PBS? Who was that? What's PBS? Do they still have that? <laughs> In our world, that was Channel 13, right? Yes. <laughs> My mom still says that. She's like, it's on Channel 7. I'm like, mom, that's not the same thing to like anyone. <laughs> As as well, if you grew up in New York, that was ABC. That was ABC, you, exactly. You grew up in LA, it was like something else. I think it's actually also ABC here, but anyway. But yes, having grown up in New York, that was that was Channel Thirteen. But I, you know, we talk about the same thing with boundaries, right? It's exactly the same thing when we talk about boundaries that you are shifting who you're being in yourself, but also in relationship. And when you're shifting who you are in relationship, a lot of people don't fucking like it. No, it's, and it's really, really challenging. I I often 
talk about how my listeners have probably heard me say this a million times that like, we're all connected like puzzle pieces. Right. And then when we start to shift our shape in this big, you know, puzzle of life, and we start to change our shape, as we talked about shifting the weight in the, in the mobile and the internal family system, it changes how we interact with everybody around us. And the, and every, every puzzle piece around us either has to shift with us or it pops out. Yeah. Well, and sometimes they don't shift so easily because they haven't let go of their stuff yet. Right. There's that period of strain. Are they going to, are they going to shift or are they going to pop out? I'm big on personal examples today. So, um, Great. I did, I did this work about around, uh, mom and grandma and rage and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't really know how, what the outcome is going to be, how it impacts. You just know that you're going to start listening things differently and you're going to have, your tolerances are going to shift and change. So I have a daughter who will remain unnamed since I have four of them. This she'll know who she is if she listens to this show, but nobody will say your dad called you out on somebody's podcast. <laughs> um, she likes to be angry and she got very angry about something and somehow it, it was my fault. I paused for a moment and I was like, hmm, there's something familiar about this. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, this is that, this is that, you know, angry women thing. Mm. Only now, only it's my daughter. Right. And I said to her, you know, honey, I love you and I need you to know that this is really your problem. I can't help you with this. Like, I can't fix this situation. I can't change it. This whole thing that you have around this particular issue, it's not something I can fix directly. It's something that you, you, and it had to do with communication and her living somewhere else and stuff like that. And she got furious with me. I mean, Mm. she got really angry because that's not the dad she's used to. The dad she's used to is, oh, angry woman. All right, I'm going to stuff it and I'm just going to talk through it with her. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I'll conform. I'll, I'll, yeah. Uh huh. You know, and so, uh, and, you know, we worked it out. And, and, you know, now she knows that, that I'm not the guy she comes to sing to about those things anymore because, you know, my party line is going to be, hey, you know what? If it's my problem, I'm going to help you with it. But if it's not, I don't really care how angry you are. It's your problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that was a big shift for me, but really painful for her. And, uh, but also, Probably incredibly uh, important for her. Maybe. Maybe. We right? hope. Because, yeah. I mean, we hope, right? I'm right. Sure. Right. Because, you know, this is the, this is it. Like we do our work and it does, it passes down because when we don't do our work, it just, it does. When we don't do our work, it passes down. So when mm-hmm. we do it, it also passes down, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we're stopping these generational cycles. You have a generational cycle in your family of rageful women which hopefully she'll, she can put a stop to. Yeah. Pretty amazing how I recreated that in her, huh? Isn't it amazing? Yeah. That's how we do it. No, no, it skipped a generation because I'm not a rageful woman. I'm a rageful man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a rageful man. I'm no longer a rageful man. Thank you. Thank God. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Rich. Thank you. This, I mean, you know, as always, we could talk about all of this stuff all day long. But so tell people where they can find you if they want to hear more about this and all the, all of your other work. You've got lots of places and lots of channels. Where can everyone find you? Yeah, uh, you can always reach out to me directly if you want to say hello. My email is rich. It's easy. It's R-I-C-H at, and the name of the website is richinrelationship.com, all one word, R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L. A T I O N S H I P, just like it's spelled, just like it is, all no spaces. Uh, you can email me directly. You can go to that website. 
Uh, we, and, you know, on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and TikTok, it's all at, uh, excuse me, hashtag or at, depending on which, which one you're on, rich in relationship. So just look for rich in relationship and you'll find all our good stuff out there. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Direct message me, whatever you need to do. Uh, always happy to talk to people and explore. I love it. Thank you so much, Rich. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I love it. Great to speak with you also. Thank you for having me on the show. Of course. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.